Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. A lot of folks. Um, if you're new here, we want to welcome you here this morning. We are grateful that you're here. Um, we, um, we always kind of make this little blurb, but, but, but we recognize that there are a lot of great churches in Sheridan, and um, there are a lot of churches that certainly we would attend, I would attend if I wasn't here. Um, and, and so uh, we, we want you to know that we, we love those churches, we love their congregations, we love their pastors, and we are in unity with those churches. Uh, we have a great pastoral group, the, the Pastors United in Christ, and um, any of those churches, you know, we, we highly recommend any of those churches. But if you're looking for a church home and you, uh, you, you think you might find one here, we would be ever so uh, thankful uh, for that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if uh, God calls you to be a part of this church family, that would be awesome. But if God also, if in your exploration of other churches, uh, you, you, you find one of the other great churches here in Sheridan, our encouragement to you is to find a church home, uh, to plug in, to get involved, to serve in that community, and to make a difference in the community of Sheridan that we live in. So in 2002... Um, Anna and I had the opportunity to go on a trip. We got to, we, uh, well, we went on separate trips, but the same year. But we, we got to go into, uh, into, we smuggled Bibles into China, Vietnam, Laos, and we took hand-wind tape players into Nepal. And I got to see pastors who, who literally, for the first time in their life, saw the entire Bible in one place. And they just wept because they had never seen the whole thing in one book. And so they, they were they would rip pages out of books and pass them around because it wasn't um, legal for them to have that. And so when you, in, in 2012, I got an opportunity to take a bunch of stuff and take it into Kyrgyzstan, which is also a closed country too. And so, so sometimes we take for granted the idea of like how we sit here as God's people in America. I think we better not take it too much for granted though, as a matter of fact, because I believe the persecution for this nation in this place is right around the corner for us as well on a number of agendas. Um, Christians are being seen um, in America as more and more intolerant and hateful and angry, hateful people. That uh... So let's take a second and let's just pray for our brothers and sisters um, globally. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that, that your church is one body, that it is a global entity. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you're at work doing around the world. And we lift up our brothers and sisters, Lord, who uh, in, in their faith face persecution on a daily basis. Those who, Lord, whose very lives are at stake this day, Lord, we, we pray that, um, that God, that you, would, uh, that you would protect them, that you would encourage them, Lord, that you would embolden them, Lord, and we pray that you would grow your church, Lord. We thank you that the gates of hell cannot overcome your church, Lord, that, that, that your church is an offensive weapon that is ramming into the gates of hell, and, and, and blowing those prison doors open. And so, uh, Lord, we pray for that to just continue. We know, Lord, too, that the more the church is just crushed, the more that it, that it grows. And so, God, we just pray encouragement over our brothers and sisters, Lord. And we pray, too, that you would prepare our own hearts, Lord, for the times where we might face it, um, whether it just be from family or the community or whatever that looks like, Lord, even uh, just... Within this nation, Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts even, that we might walk in that and that we might do it in love and in joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, our good friend Barney, who we talk to a lot, who pastors a, a, a church in Kathmandu, Nepal, 
He, he tells us all the time, he says, yeah, you know, I mean, like, like if they baptize somebody there, it's five years in prison for him for, for conversion. And, and so, you know, he'll say, yeah, well, you know, last, uh, last year we baptized 90 people, you know. And so, so, so Barney has racked up like hundreds of years in, in, in prison if, uh, if it all comes around. But you know what? And they spend four days trying to talk people out of getting baptized. That, that, that their, their baptism course there is about talking people out of getting baptized. And if at the end of four days they still want to get baptized, they're like, okay, you're in. Let's do it, you know, kind of a thing. Because they know that when they get baptized, when they do that public uh, profession of their faith and they identify themselves with Christ in his church, that they'll face persecution, they'll lose jobs, they'll have family persecution, all kinds of things will happen. So... As we enter into this season here, we're coming up on the, the holiday seasons, right? Here we are. We're into November now, and, and we're coming up on Thanksgiving. And so I wanted to take a couple of weeks here and just talk about the idea of gratitude, the idea of thankfulness. Um, Thanksgiving has a rich history in our nation. Um, most of the time we equate uh, Thanksgiving uh, with uh, the pilgrims, right? And, and the dinner that they shared with, uh, with the natives there in Plymouth. Um, and, and that certainly is, is true and, and, and happened. It's also been there. Our government has also given edicts of thanksgiving historically. As a matter of fact, George Washington uh, threw out an edict of thanksgiving for our Constitution after it was drawn up. And so, so there were just these days of celebration and these days of thanksgiving um, Abraham Lincoln, in I believe 1863, instituted it as a national holiday after the Battle of Gettysburg and the turning of the Civil War at that point. So we have a deep uh, history with this season that we come into, this idea of, of Thanksgiving of, uh, and, and this idea of just living our lives with gratitude. So that's the big question is, is how... Um, are, are your lives tied to the events um, and the things of your life? Uh, because really, I think we have two options. One is gratitude, and, and one is just the opposite of that. It's, it's, it's ingratitude. It's, uh, and, and how are we measuring in our lives the things that we're grateful for? Are, are we just grateful for, for things when things are well, when things are good, when, when things make us happy? Then certainly it's easy at that point to be grateful, Right? But I think grateful is something like being a servant. See, it's all fine and good to be a servant until somebody treats you like one, right? You know what I mean? It's all great and fine. Yeah, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Let somebody treat you like one, then see how you feel about it. You know what I mean? Gratitude is that same kind of a concept. Gratitude is easy and it's all great and fine to have gratitude in the good times of life and when things are going our way. The challenge with gratitude is the same challenge that we have with love. It's, it's easy to love those who love you. But the challenge for us is a deeper challenge. It's, it's about having gratitude in the, in the difficult times. It's about, it's about understanding that, that there's a bigger picture at work here. It's about understanding that the fruit of gratitude is the very seed for almost, for just so many things in our lives. It's like this, it's this cornerstone that opens up the door to, to so many things in our lives. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say that gratitude and joy are tied together. See, if you can't have gratitude for your circumstances, you can't be joyful in your circumstances. And remember that joy is something that transcends um, <clears throat> our life and what's happening in our life presently. 
um, contentment. Gratitude and contentment are very much tied together. Because an attitude of ingratitude is, is an attitude of, of that I, I have not. That, that, that there's need that I still have that's out there. Gratitude breaks that down. It, it actually brings us into a place of contentment where we understand that we're, we're either content or we're not. We're either living in gratitude or we're not. <clears throat> but, but gratitude brings us into this place where we can find contentment because we realize the blessings that are all around us. Peace, peace and gratitude are tied very well together. As a matter of fact, if you aren't grateful in life, you won't have peace because you'll be in turmoil about the things that we don't have or the situations that aren't shaping up in the manner and the way that we think they ought to. Humility. It takes humility to be grateful. Very much a lack of humility is very much a source of ingratitude and unthankfulness in our lives. Because it elevates us. When we, when we live, you know, if we live outside of humility, then we begin to elevate ourselves. And when we elevate ourselves, we elevate our needs, our thoughts, our ways. All things must be now our way. And forgiveness is very much tied to the concept and the idea of gratitude too. And the reason for that is because really gratitude really needs to take us at its core to this place that we recognize that we've been given everything. That Jesus has lavished grace upon us to the degree that we've received everything that we truly need in this life if we're in Christ. That we've been given everything. That our sins have been forgiven. That all has been washed clean. And when we realize that and we live in the gratitude of that, then we become a people who are capable of extending that kind of grace and graciousness to others. We begin to become a forgiving people. Remember, Jesus said that, that we, he forgives to the degree that we forgive, right? It's, it's this idea that if we live in this place of ingratitude, then we lock ourselves into a prison cell of unforgiveness, um, chaos, self-elevation, discontent, and a lack of joy in our lives. But the fruit of ingratitude is this. The fruit of ingratitude is anger, it's resentment, and it's unforgiveness. See, gratitude in itself is, ro- is rooted in provision. It's the recognition that I've been given enough, that I have enough, that I'm grateful for what I have because what I have is truly enough. Ingratitude is based in lack. It says that I have not enough. It says that, there's, that I'm in lack, that I'm living in this place of lack. The Bible calls us to live in thankfulness, in gratitude, in all situations. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Psalm 26.7, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Psalm 50, 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Psalm 50, 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. 
Psalm 69, 30, sorry. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. So praise and our worship is rooted in this idea of gratitude and thankfulness, that we won't have a worshipful heart or a worshipful spirit unless we first recognize that we have been graciously given all things by this good and gracious God, that he's the father of lights, that in him all good things proceed out of him. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 2, 1, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So thanksgiving is to be the language of prayer as well, the language of praise and the language of prayer as well. There are a couple of, of events in the Bible that I, I'd like to go through and, and look at, and, and these have become very much um, pictures of, of ingratitude and unthankfulness that the Bible gives us. So this week, we're going to start there. We're going to start with, like, what does it look like to just live outside of gratitude in our lives? What does it look like to be not a thankful people, but an unthankful people. Luke 17, Jesus tells this, this, this story, this, this parable, and he says this, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So gratitude recognizes the source. You see, when we live outside of gratitude, one of our big struggles and one of our big problems is we see ourselves as the source of provision in our lives. It's honestly the thing that keeps us from being a generous people. So gratitude and generosity even go together because when we recognize that the God is the source of all good things, that he's our provision, that anything that we do, that our work, that the, the talents that we have, the abilities that we have, that they've all come from this good and gracious God. And, and then when we have this attitude of recognition that they, they don't come from me, they, they aren't initiated by me, they're initiated by God in and through me, that I'm just kind of, or you, or all of us, that we are just a vehicle by which God is, is, is blessing the world around. And, and when we live in that, we start to live in this place of gratitude you see, because we recognize that we're not the source. You see, things like generosity and giving a lot of times are an issue of source. What do we believe is the source? If I believe that God is the source of all things, then I'm much more willing to be generous with the things that he gives me. 
If I believe that I'm the source of all good things, I'm much more apt to be greedy. So, gratitude recognizes that the source is God. And this also tells us that gratitude might be rather rare in reality. That there were 10 that were healed. And what were they healed and what were they given back? You know what? For a leper in that day, they were given everything. They were given their lives back. Everything about them, that disease was, was purged from their life. That thing that was keeping them outside of the community, the thing that was relegating them to a camp outside of the city where they couldn't work, where they couldn't be in relationship with other people, where they couldn't be around family, all of these things, this disease, this leprosy was costing them everything. You know, the Bible equates leprosy with sin in our lives. And the picture here is this idea that, that, that God has given us all grace, that he's restored to us life that we did not possess and that we did not have, that we were broken and we were alone and that we were outside of the camp and that we were relegated to really a world and a life of suffering. But this good God came and healed us of that. And when he healed us of that, he restored all things back to us. And when we start from that place, we can start to live with gratitude. We can start to live from a different space. See, for them, everything had been restored, yet only one came back to recognize that God was the source and the provision of their healing. Another one that I really like, and I think this is a really great picture of this, of, of gratitude and ingratitude and what it really does to the heart. And, and when we live in this place of ingratitude, is the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. We've, we've heard this story. It's in Luke chapter 15. It starts in verse 11, I believe. And, um, and basically, the backstory to this is that the, the, there was a man and he had two sons, Right? And, and the younger of the sons came to him one day and said, Dad, give me my share of the, of the estate. Give me my inheritance right now. And, and, and it says that the father divided his wealth between his two sons, an older and a younger. And, and then it says that that younger son went off and he, he went crazy, he went wild, he took off to Vegas and he burned it all down. It's all gone. Just threw it up in the air and ran out from underneath it practically. Right, and, 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 he, and it was a great amount. It was a huge sum of money and value and worth that he had just lost. It was just gone. And, and, and so, so then um, he, he runs out of resources. He runs out of personal resources. It says that he sells himself out to a foreigner. That foreigner sends him out to feed pigs, and nothing could be worse than, than out there and feeding pigs and and so he says that he recognizes that he's beginning to starve to death and that these pigs are actually eating better than him. And something happens. It says he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, this young son said, you know what, back at my father's house is all provision. That even the, the servants there at my father's house, they have no lack. They have all good things. Nobody goes hungry at my father's house. I'm going back to my father's house. And so we see this whole picture of, of repentance and this, this son um, coming back to the father. And we see the father come. And the father, when he sees him, it says a long way off, he runs to this son. And when he gets to him, it says that he embraces him and he hugs him and he kisses him. And then we see this whole picture of restoration 
where he had no robe, says that the, the, he comes back and he says, I'm just, I'm just willing to be a servant to you, Father. Just one of your hired men. Just make me that because I'm not worthy to be your son. And we see this picture of where this father begins to restore him and he puts a robe on him, which represents royalty and the restoration of this son into the family and says, no, you're not a servant. Your rightful place is as a son. And, and he gives him a ring, which is authority. It's this idea that he gives him the checkbook back. And then he puts sandals on his feet because he came back barefooted and, and slaves went barefoot in that culture. And, and so it's the picture of that he's, that he's, that he's saving him from his, from his sins. He's setting him free from his sin. He's restoring this son in every way. And then we come to, chapter, to verse, uh, 15, or verse 25 here, and we see the reaction of the older son, his brother, his older brother, when he comes home. And it says here, it says that the, the older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he comes back and, and he's been doing the right thing. He's been out in the field, man, and he's been working all day. He's just been slaving. He's been doing all the right stuff. And he comes home, and there's music and dancing, right? And it says he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. Why is there music and dancing going on right now? I've been working, and people here are partying. He's got a big problem with this, right? And, and, and so, so his, he, he says, he says, the servant, one of the servants, he says, what does this mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. He received him back. He's back. He's safe and sound. At this point, the brother's attitude should be one of, of just thankfulness, right? I'm just glad he's safe. I'm glad he's just back. I'm glad he's alive. I'm glad he's with us, right? But you know what? Ingratitude trumps relationships. It destroys families. It begins to tear down all the good things. It, it, it just, it trumps the relationships and it disrupts our care and our concern of other people. Why? Because it focuses everything back on us. goes on to say, but he was angry. Oh, wait. He was angry, and he refused to go in. Now, think about this. His ingratitude takes him where? To anger. Anger and ingratitude are bedfellows. They're, they are definitely in bed together. Anger, he gets mad. It's rooted in anger. His his. His, um, his ingratitude is, and guess what else? It'll keep you out of the party. It says he refused to go in. Was he welcome? Of course he's welcome. See, we're going to see that in just a second. But he refused to go in. Why? Because it was all about him. Because he's angry and he's resentful and he's unforgiving. Because it's all about him and what he's done. And it's also about what this brother has done or hasn't done. 
You see, and, and, and it hyper-focuses everything on what the younger brother has done, the wrong that he's done, everything about the wrong that he's done. And it also gives him a false conception of what he's been doing. It promotes self-righteousness. He refused to go in. But his father came out and met him there, just like this father met the other son and came out and ran to him, remember? Now this father comes out and he meets this son. Both of those acts were shameful in their culture. For a patriarch to run to his lost son, patriarchs didn't run. If there was any running to be done, they assigned a servant to do the running. But not this father. He ran despite the shame. Sounds like a Bible verse to me. Despite the shame, he ran. He embraced this son. Now this father now has come out and he's met this older son where he's out in a place of refusal to go into the party, angry, mad, and just living in this ingratitude. And it says that he entreated him or he begged him to come in. Just come into the party, man. Look, your brother's home. He's safe and sound. I'm so thankful that he made it back, that he came back. Come on, man, we're having a great party in there. There's music, there's dancing. We're, just come on in. Just, just, let's just party. Come on, let's have a good time. Just come on in. No, I won't do it. I'm not going into that. Why? Because this isn't going according to his terms and according to the way that he thinks that this ought to go. And he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Ingratitude can cause us to miss the invitation. There was an invitation from the father to come in. And his ingratitude that's building now, that we're seeing now, is keeping him outside of this party. You see, ingratitude brews for years. He's been thinking about this a long time. This didn't happen today in this story. This, is, this has been, these events have been churning around in his mind this whole time while he's out there and he's doing all the right stuff every day. He's just angry and he's mad because he's not being traded in the way that he thinks he ought to be. He's blinded to the blessings that are all around him because this is what ingratitude does to us. It brews for years, and then it leaks out all over everybody. At some point, a life that's lived outside of gratitude will leak out all over everybody that's close to you. You never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Remember the beginning of the story. If you look back, you'll see that the father divided the estate between the two of them. And the older son actually would have gotten the majority of the estate because he would have been being primed to become the patriarch of the family. So he got actually even more money. But his view is what? You never gave me anything. You never even gave me a young goat. Why is this? Because his, his anger, his resentment, his ingratitude has blinded him. It's left him blind. And this is the problem with it is that it blinds us to any good thing that is around us. Why? Because we're hyper-focused on what's wrong when we live outside of gratitude. 
We're hyper-focused on everything that's wrong. We can't see what's good. We can't see what's right because we're trapped in a cell of ingratitude. He never gave me anything that I might celebrate with my friends. But listen, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Unthankfulness, it distorts our perception of ourselves and it leads to self-righteousness. It begins to inflate ourselves and it leads to victimhood, it leads to entitlement. The idea that we're owed something and no amount of gifting can overcome that sense of injustice that we feel in that sense, in that arena. Remember, look, He's so angry. He's so resentful. This has broken down his family relationship to the place that he's even said, this son of yours. He won't even acknowledge that it's his brother. This son of yours who did this. See, he's blind to the blessings that are all around him. He's focused on what's wrong with others, and he can only see the worst. Ingratitude will cause us to say things that we can't take back to. When we're just looking at the wrong and, and, and we're focused on that, things are going to come out. Things are going to leak out. They can't be taken back. It seeks to manipulate the behavior of others. You see, ingratitude wants to pull others down into that pit with us versus gratitude, which is lifting people up out of it. It's, it's a right understanding. The father said to him, son, you are with, always with me and all that is mine is yours. The father just says, look, it's simply all yours. It's always been yours. You just couldn't see it because you were living in this place. You were living in this religious, righteous place. Remember, Jesus would have been telling this story to the Pharisees, right? This idea that your, your religion and your concept of, of who you are and how right you are and how wrong everybody else is has brought you to this place. And you can't even see that all that is mine is yours. And when we start talking about a father from this place and what all his resources and his abilities are, I mean, he's got a lot and he can't see it. And then he says this, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was, is found. You see, it keeps us from what is fitting in a situation. And in a situation like this, what is fitting is grace. Because grace is what we need. And when, we've been, when we live with an understanding of what has been given to us, then we're quicker to extend that to other people when we believe that something is owed to us than we withhold we can't say thank you. We can't give gifts. All kinds of things start to, 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 to live in this place when we're just not grateful. It places our hearts in opposition to God's heart, which is grace, which is the extension of grace and forgiveness in our lives. And it makes being right an incredibly destructive and dangerous place. I don't know about you, 
But sometimes for me to be right is the worst place for me to be. Because if I'm right, I can easily justify doing the wrong thing. Right? See, it it hardens our hearts. It ruins relationships. This is a heart issue. And it's a choice. And as a matter of fact, there's a reality that if we do not choose gratitude by default, we will choose ingratitude. And we will begin to sow the seed of that in our lives and we'll bear the fruit of unforgiveness, chaos, lack of peace, all the things that go with it. See, without gratitude, we have an inflated view of self-importance, vanity. We have a deep need for approval and ongoing affirmation. See, it begins to wrap up in how do we see life? Do you see life as a gift or as life gain? In other words, is life a gift? Do we look around at our lives? Do we recognize how blessed we are by this good and gracious God? Do we recognize those things? Do we, do we count the things precious in our lives that are truly precious? Or do we just look for what we don't have? Do we consider that life is just gain and, and all of what life is about is more and more consumption and more and more of this and that and to have and to possess and to get and to be bigger, better, more and all of that kind of stuff? Because when we live in that place, we'll never be satisfied. We'll never live in a place of gratitude because there's always the next thing that we have to to get to. You see, God is calling us to be a people who recognize at a certain point that we have enough. And when we have enough and we live in the gratitude of that enough, that we become then a generous people who begin to provide for the needs of others who may not in reality have enough. Humility is key for gratitude. How can we live in a world of such blessing without recognizing that God has gifted it all to us. Gratitude and happiness go together. The ability to appreciate the smaller things and to see the gifts that are given, it helps us to deal with adversity, hard times. It helps us to thrive. It's a key to grief. I can promise you that. Without gratitude, grief is an incredibly deep hole and one that you'll likely not crawl out of until you can find some gratitude. There's a saying out there I like. It says, you can be right or you can be happy. But you can't always be both. If we live our lives from a position and a place that I always have to be right, I'll likely not be happy. If I can't look into the things that are going on around me and I can't have gratitude for the good things that are happening, if I only am a person who's always seeing the glass half empty and always seeing the wrong in others and what's going on, then ultimately, honestly, I'll be unable to really effectively um, operate within community because I'll drive myself out of community the same way that the older son wouldn't go into the party. I'll keep myself out of it. Now, if this tent and this party represent heaven... And God's big party that he's going to throw at the end, this is a very dangerous place for us to be. 
to have the attitude of the older son is an incredibly dangerous place because at the end of the story here, we're left in the tension of we don't know. The, there's still tension in the relationship between the father and the oldest son. We see reconciliation with the younger son, not because of anything that he's done, not because of any good thing that he did, but because he came to the father and allowed the father to restore him. It was all grace. If this was based on works, right, then the older son would be in and the younger son would be out. But that's not what we see. We see that the older son is in despite what he's done. And even though the older son has done all of the right things this whole time, slaved and just did all the right stuff while nobody else did the right stuff, at the end of this thing, he's left outside of the party, not because he's not welcome to the party, but by his own volition, he's chosen to not go in. Dangerous spot. So, gratitude. I'm going to say that this is such a core thing in our lives. This is, this, is, this is something that maybe we don't think about enough. We don't think about the importance of living with gratitude, the importance of contentment, the importance of peace, the importance of understanding that we have enough, the importance of generosity in our lives, and how all of these things root back to the idea of gratitude. So, next week, we're going to talk about living with gratitude, and especially in the tough times. Because like I said, it's easy to have gratitude when it's all going my way. It's a lot different deal to have gratitude when it's not going my way. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you that for us, you've given all things. That if you gave us nothing more, that Jesus, your gift on the cross of eternal life for us, your shedding of blood so that we could have forgiveness of sin, that we could be cleansed of this sin problem that we have, that we could be united with you forever is all that we truly need. Lord, help us to, to live out of a space of gratitude. Help us to look around and see what's good. Help us to join in what's good and help us to promote what's good. And when we see what's wrong, Lord, help us that we wouldn't tear it down, but that we would be a people who look for the good in it and we would be those who are building up. Lord, you call us to build these things up. You call us to be those kinds of people. You call us to live in a space of gratitude for all that's given to us. And Lord, in this nation and where we live and even just how we live today, compared to the rest of the world, Lord, we should be a very, very grateful people, even if we would consider amongst ourselves that we are a people who don't have a lot of means. We need to be grateful for what we have in comparison, especially to the rest of the world. And Lord, through that and out of that gratitude, Lord, may we be a people who, who exercise grace and may we be a generous people who set ourselves to out of our provision, provide for others. Lord, we need you in this. We need you to help us in this. We need to go deeper with you to, to even get this and understand this. But Lord, we thank you that you've given us all good things, that you're a good father, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. So Lord, even though we live in a hard place and in a hard time, may we set our, our hearts and our minds on eternity, on eternal things, on, on things that are real and help us to live out of the gratitude of what you've done for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.